Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I'm really excited about today's show. I'm going to be joined by conversion expert, Joanna Weeb, and we're going to talk about split testing, copywriting, and how to improve your website opt-ins. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show and you want to reach out to me for anything, you can always email podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com. That comes straight to my inbox. With that, let's transition to an awesome new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week, Eric Fisher joins us with a brand new discovery. What have you got for us, Eric? I have got a tool that links two of our favorite tools, Dropbox for Gmail, made by Dropbox. Very cool. So Gmail and Dropbox, talk, talk about, like first of all, what does it do? What it does is, first of all, it's a Chrome extension. You install it into Chrome and then go into your Gmail. And as you're writing a message, you see a Dropbox icon down where all the formatting tools are. And you can click it and you can select instead of you know your, your window, your chooser window that, that says, hey, here's all your files on your computer you can attach to this email. It opens up a Dropbox window instead. And there are all your folders and files in your Dropbox account. And you can select those and attach those instead. Okay, so like I'm in Gmail right now and I have a message open and I see send and then I see a little A with underline and a paperclip um, and a bunch of other things. Um, does it appear right inside of there, just a little Dropbox icon? Yep, right there. Same as it, it, it looks like it was born there natively once you add the Chrome extension in. So the other way people would have to use Dropbox is they would have to open up Dropbox and they'd have to drag something from the desktop, right, into uh, into into Chrome in order to make that work. But what you're saying is this is nice and seamless and integrated, right? Yeah, it eliminates at least two to three steps of the two or three different ways you would go about attaching a Gmail um, file, or not Gmail file, Dropbox file into a Gmail email. Now, when you receive an email and it's got an attachment, I know that Gmail natively allows you to download it to your desktop or to save it to your drive. Does Do you know if the Dropbox... Uh, tool allows you to save it directly to Dropbox. It does not, at least not as of yet. Oh, well, that's cool. Well, hopefully someone from Dropbox that's listening can make that functionality happen because a two-way integration would be, I think, really, really cool. Yeah, it, it's great to, to get and send, but we've got to get and save as well. Absolutely. Well, Eric, thank you so much for bringing us that new tip. Again, what was the name of that plugin? Dropbox for Gmail. And just to be clear, it is a Chrome extension, right? Yes. Now, for those of us that aren't Chrome uh, experts or whatever is it, how do you find the Chrome extensions? Um, you know, there's, I think there's a way in your Chrome, 
let's see here, Chrome browser, and I think you go to help, and you just type in search and type extensions, and it'll bring up the site where you go get those. Cool. And then if you just type in Dropbox, it'll show up. It's got a very high rating. So Very cool. Thank you, Eric, so much. You're welcome. I was recently at Social Media Marketing World, and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at Social Media Examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the Social Media Marketing Podcast not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the Social Media Marketing Society. Each month, our top-tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. With that, let's transition over to today's interview, which you're going to love. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to be joined today by Joanna Weeb. If you don't know who Joanna is, she's a copywriter, a conversion expert, and founder of copyhackers.com, a website designed to help you improve your conversions. And she's also authored a seven book ebook series called Copy Hackers. Joanna, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. It is awesome to be here. So today we're going to talk about split testing and all sorts of little things that any marketer listening can do to increase their email opt-ins or increase, increase any kind of call to action or anything that they're hoping to do. And this is something that's fun and exciting for me because of my background as a copy blog, uh, copy, not blogger, copy writer. Uh, I think I'm imagining Brian Clark in my head or something. <laughs> yeah. So let's start, Joanna, with your backstory. Um, what led to where you are right now? How did you get involved with copywriting and conversions and all that fun stuff? Let's hear the story. Sure. I mean, I like to say that I, I fell into copywriting because I basically did. Um, so I was going to law school, a big life trauma happened. I dropped out of law school as a result and was like, what am I going to do? So um, a friend of mine was working at an agency and she was like, well, we're looking for a writer. And I was like, okay. So I went through, applied, got it. Um, and I didn't really know what a copywriter was at the time. So when I was sitting there with my new boss and we were like, okay, well, what should we call you? And he was like, uh, maybe we should just call you a copywriter. And I was like, oh, gross. Like, that sounds so boring. Yeah. Like, nothing sounds worse than that, actually. So we were like, okay, well, what can we call you then? So we came up with just creative writer. And I'd been, you know, an English major who did creative writing in undergrad. So this sat very well with me, um, which was, of course, I didn't know at the time, but that's like a terrible mistake that set me back so far in the, you know, what I could have been doing if I'd thought of myself as a copywriter. Um, so I worked for a couple years as a quote unquote creative writer. Um, and then I went over to the big tech company, Intuit, uh, the makers of TurboTax and QuickTax and Mint, things like that. Wow. 
Um, yeah, so I went over there and started and applied, got in as a senior copywriter. And I was like, okay, I'll deal with this title copywriter. But it was when I was there that I, I kind of figured out what copywriting was because I was in this very um, data-driven community, right? This organization that's all about you don't do anything based on gut. That's not how we make decisions. We make decisions based on data. So we have to, you know, find our message based on data and then we test the message to see if it works and all of this incredible stuff that where I started to really understand that copywriting was not boring at all. Creative writing was had been a bit of the problem, right? That creativity, although good, was maybe keeping me from um, opening up and, um, and finding messages in the right place and not focusing so much on that gut instinct, but rather on, on messages that really work and pull and like get amazing results that grow businesses, which I mean, feels really good once you start doing that. Hey, Joanna, why don't you explain to those listening, what is the difference between a copywriter and a a, a journalist or a regular kind of writer? Just everybody has some context. Yeah, no, totally. Um, So a copywriter, a creative writer, in my experience, a creative writer is a person who is more likely to come up with taglines and with concepts for, um, you know, ads or campaigns and things like that. So a lot of a lot of brainstorming where it's more about sitting around a table with other creative writers or with other designers or both or marketers and whatever it might be sitting there and coming up with, you know, kind of abstracting a message out of um, insights that you've otherwise got on your audience and on your product and things like that. Whereas a copywriter, in my experience, and you tell me what you think here as well with your background, um, but a copywriter is someone for me who is more likely, at least the type of copywriting that I do is more of that scientific copywriting where you're, um, you're listening to people to try to find the message. You're not relying on your own brain or what's going on you know, in the small world that you're in to try to sell to people who are potentially nothing like you. Instead, you're listening to those people and swiping messages from them and, um, and then testing those messages for the, with the scientific approach to copywriting, right? Um, So that's a bit of a difference between um, creative writing and copywriting. Would you agree? Yeah. And, you know, the way that I've often described it is um, if you think about this dichotomy on the far, far left, you've got manual writers, right? These are highly technical writers that essentially interview engineers and write detailed manuals on how things work. On the far opposite side of the spectrum, on the far right, you've got the copywriter. The copywriter's job is to say the most with the least amount of words. So the copywriter is the person who can get a message communicated in just a few words that can convey an emotional response or uh, move someone to action. They're often the kind of people that are writing headlines and advertisements or writing, you know, um, coming up with words that might ultimately be slogans for the company, you know, and they have a lot of uh, rich meaning behind them. And there are people, like you said, who are very scientific on that front, but there's also very creative as well. So I think mm-hmm. I think we kind of agree. At least that's that's from my background. You know what I mean? Here's hoping. Yeah. So we're close. So you're at into it. You're beginning to love this copywriting job. Keep going mm-hmm. with the story. Yeah. Well, and that was really where we started. It was around that time, you know, about um, eight, nine years ago when split testing became more readily available to the people people who are optimizing their websites and emails and things. So um, tools like Optimizely and BWO uh, were out. Omniture, you know, was still Omniture at the time, not yet acquired by Adobe. So there were all these tools that were kind of starting to pop up um, that could help you test 
your copy or your you know design or whatever it might be the elements of your website and of course email platforms at the time too were starting to integrate this with subject line testing and things like that um, so we started to see the ability to do really solid split testing where we could develop a d- two different approaches to solving a problem so like one hypothesis and two three four five whatever it might be different ways to try to address that and then test it right and see um see what comes out of it with actual data and actually using the visitors that are coming to your site or your email subscribers and having them vote with their clicks or with their credit cards right where they're not even of course aware that it's going on um, but they're involved in a test that helps us then learn what works so we can keep doing what works without having to guess. Um, So that was kind of what brought me to this point um, in my life. Well, to the point at which I started Copy Hackers, which is all about uh, what we call conversion copywriting, which is really just copywriting that's designed um, to perform very well in split tests and to be measured. Awesome. And how long, how long, (laughs) how long have you been out doing this on your own after into it? Yeah, for um, just a little over three years now. Excellent, yeah. excellent. Uh, no, well, fun. and this is just a you know, this is kind of mad science stuff for a lot of people, right? It's like you know, so many marketers right now are, um, especially in the social media world, are not, you know, they understand the importance of um, tracking things with Google Analytics. And they understand um, the importance of creating a message that's going to resonate with a particular audience and that you have different audiences on different social platforms. And there's a lot of to marketing now because of social media. But what's really exciting about what, what we're going to talk about is it's a lot of psychology stuff. It's a lot of how do you get somebody who maybe didn't intend to do something to do something? Or how do you get them to think that this is what they naturally would have wanted to do next? And th- this is the stuff that's absolutely fascinating to me. And I want to go ahead and and um, and dig a little deeper on um, onto your website and just talk about this for a minute. And we'll have some screenshots in the show notes. But on your site at copyhackers.com, you've got a really bunch of interesting things going on. And knowing your background and knowing your experience, you've extensively tested this. Um, but first thing is you have this little ad that um, shows up as people scroll on the page in the bottom left. Describe kind of what that ad looks like and what it does and why it's there. Yes. So this little ad that pops up, which will make a lot of sense with the screenshot, um, it is, we use a solution called Bounce Exchange, which, are you familiar with Bounce Exchange? No. What is it? Oh, okay. Uh, they're this very cool solution. Um, they're, they do the, so we also have this exit intent pop-up that captures your email address. Um, so this little guy down in the corner here um, is also working with that exit intent pop-up. Um, so Bounce Exchange does both of, both of those things and we started with the the exit intent pop-up and that performed really well and we can totally talk about that but um, um and then recently they started experimenting with a few other ways to get people's attention so obviously um once people start becoming really aware of something that's usually when it's you know on its way out so as increasingly you know a lot of people are using exit intent pop-ups um uh, Bounce Exchange themselves is actually doing a lot of testing around other ways to grab people's attention um, and get them to opt in. So that's what this little guy down in the corner is. So um, I'll just describe it. It's um, a little um, ebook, like the top of an ebook in an iPad, um, and it says, "Click here to get a free guide." And so it's like angled at forty-five degrees. 
And it's it's kind of like uh, the bottom of a book that might have like, uh, you know, like a little, it, it, it just hovers over the top as you scroll and it's always there, right? It is, yeah. Um, so it appears, which of course gets it noticed as you're scrolling down the page, um, and then it stays there until you click on it. And then, so when you do click on it, if you do click on it, then you're presented with that um, that opt-in box to get people to opt in <laughs> and give you their email address. So that's what we're doing with that, with the people over at Bounce Exchange. Um, yeah, and it's performing pretty well. It's um, it's incredible what what the creative that is brought together for these different elements, what it's actually doing. I mean, um, if you're not, maybe, um, sorry, Michael, when you, when you click on that and you see, um, the pop-up box, yes. have you done that? Yeah. Yes. Um, yeah. And yeah. it says, here's what it says. When you click on it, it says copy hackers presents, and then it shows the very same image of the little ebook inside the iPad. And it says, where should we send? And then it says the free 2005 persuasion guide, your name, enter your email. And then it's got this little stick figure. That's like uh, dancing with a little stick. <laughs> and then he, he pops it up and says, send me the free guide. And it animates on and off. Now, before yeah. we get into that, Oh, okay. Before we get into that, because we're going to talk about this, um, I mean, it's really slick, but the first thing I want to ask, which I know everybody is probably thinking about right now, is what is Bounce Exchange? Is it a yeah. service? Is it a plugin for WordPress? Well, what is it? Yeah, it's um, it's software as a service. It's, it is a plugin. Uh, we have, we use WordPress. Everything we have works with WordPress. Um, but so it's software as a service that is presented with a service. So mm-hmm. what's really, what that really means is you can set it up essentially yourself so you can set up the pop-up and the creative for it but what happens is for best results they have you work with their design team with their creative team where you tell them what you want and i mean now this is a pitch for bounce exchange but it's really good um and they come up with variations um and you work with them on those of course and then split test them so what we've seen we've had bounce exchange on our site for um uh, since i believe late october um, so a couple months now, and um, they've run multiple tests during that time of different offers in particular. So what we've got on the site right now is get the persuasion guide, and that is the winner against other offers that we've tested. Um, they are, I think the other one was a four-part copywriting course that you would get, and there was one other one I can't quite, I think it was a combination of the persuasion guide plus the four-part course. And the persuasion guide beat both of those out by a long shot. So that's why now we're going forward with messaging or with testing different ways to message that persuasion guide um, and then new ways to get people to opt in to the guide. Wow. Now, I want to talk about your uh, exit intent. Um, It's a very similar, it's just slightly different. But um, just so everybody knows, exit intent means when the mouse begins to move up into a certain range to, to indicate that someone is leaving your website. Um, uh, in this particular case, Joanna has this box that appears over the screen and, uh, the, the background of the screen appears, uh, semi opaque and it says, you know, something along the line, it doesn't say get the, it just says the free 2005 persuasion guide. Then it says more than 172 pages of actionable persuasion tips based on thousands of hours of research. But this is where it gets interesting. It says, yes, get the free guide or do you remember what the no is? No, I don't actually. No, I reject the persuasion guide. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I reject. Okay, so so hold on. There's a lot of interesting psychology going on here. Explain (laughs) what the heck is going on here. 
Yes. Well, and we know, right, exactly what's going on there um, to actually commit to rejecting. So the interesting thing here uh, for me, what I take away um, and do in other places as well, is this idea between um, choice and consequence. So you can either give people a choice, which oftentimes we're implying, right? Like, oh, you can choose to do this or you can choose not to do it. Um, but when you give them more of a consequence, instead of setting it up as choice, set it up as there's a consequence to not doing the thing that you want people to do, um, then you the things change, right? And this goes back to like, this is what teachers do, right? When they're trying to get their students to do things, uh, you either get a choice or you get a consequence, right? People understand consequences. Choices, they tend to make the selfish one for them at that exact moment, but a consequence you have to think about. So this no, I reject, the actual act of clicking the no, I reject button. I, everything, in that, me, everything in me doesn't want to push that button. I know. How can you reject it? What are you talking about? And this is one of their, uh, this is again, this Bounce Exchange wrote that, um, but it's one of their more, um, it's not quite as aggressive as they often go. Like I think you might have seen on other sites too, right? People who have really aggressive stuff like, no, I'm dumb. I don't want to get this. Or like really, really wow. aggressive things are like, well, I don't want to say that. That's really negative and I don't want to go there. So we actually wrote a huge post um, when Bounce Exchange first came out. We were seeing these pop-ups everywhere and they were a lot of that really negative messaging that made us feel like, well, what brand wants to say that kind of thing to a person who's opting out? Like that's not a very, it's just not nice to say like, no, I think I know everything or whatever it might have been, right? Where you're like, mm so we wrote a post about it, um, and it became like the number one ranked um, search result when you searched for Bounce Exchange and I think pop-up intent or something like that. So that's where Bounce Exchange researched us and said, well, let us, you know, there's other things we could do. What if we work together? Um, and that's what's happened since. So it's it's more neutral messaging. It's not neutral still. It's still further towards like the negative message around I reject, but it isn't quite as far um, over to the really aggressive side as some of the other stuff out there. And it is, frankly, it's like killing it. The results are Tell us about it. Tell us about yeah. it. Like what kind of conversions are you getting? Yeah. Well, we went from getting about, um, this is just in August, you know, we'd get maybe 50 signups a day. We're easily like in the high 100s to low 200s a day just since since changing this. And I know that doesn't sound like a lot to a lot of like huge lists Yeah, but there. that's like 5x increase, right? That's a huge increase, right? To get now where like every day we're getting 200 signups when before we were getting 50 signups, that's that's a huge change for your business. Those are all people you can now invite to webinars and then sell from there. there there's so much that you can suddenly do and like, frankly, you could not tear Bounce Exchange away from me at this point. I'm not getting paid by them or anything like that to say anything like that. Well, let me ask yeah. you this question. One of the things yeah. that you do do, which I think is controversial and a lot of people recommend it, which is not to provide the opt-in form until they click something. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, if I can explain this in words, you know, um, get the free gift. You know, yes, I want to get it. Then they click it and then the form comes up and then they have to go through that next step. Um, mm -hmm. In my mind, it doesn't seem intuitive to me to force someone to actually go through that two-step process. It mm -hmm. seems like it would be much more intuitive to just simply ask to give the gift and have the form all be in one shot because there's less friction and less steps. But I want yeah. you to explain to me 
and to our audience why actually delaying that ask is actually beneficial. Well, and it's all a test, right? Like, so everything is um, just a test there. So when you go, like, when you go through and you opt in using that pop-up, um, sorry, when you use the little guy down in the bottom corner, if you click him and you get that big pop-up, then when you enter your first name and email address, you just go, right? You, you get it. But the it. philosophy like, is the same. You had to click something to see the form in both cases, right? So, yeah. So why is that better than just having a form on a pop-up, you know what I mean? Or just having a, on the sidebar of your site, the offer and yeah. the form embedded right there? Because that's been the traditional way that everyone has done it. I know it's true. And it was the way we were doing it before that alone, when we only had, you know, 50 signups a day that we were getting. Um, I, and frankly, this would for me get into just the psychology of the way we are just as human beings, right? And the ways that we go about making decisions and what it means to engage with something and begin that conversation um, that you're not otherwise beginning when, you know, once you've clicked on something, you've shown an intent of some kind, right? You're engaged in some way. Now, that's a, there's always an opportunity to lose people there. Um, of course, there is. The more you work, the more work you tend to make people do, the less likely you're going to have a high conversion on whatever you're trying to get them to do. But, um, but you know, I wish I had a clear answer for that. Well, um, here's what I think is going on from my perspective. Okay, good. I think that the offer was appealing. And nobody knew whether it was an immediate download or a form they had to fill out, right? So the implication is that I can click it and get it immediately. And then um, I've already made the commitment in this case to say, yes, I have not rejected it. Yes, I want it. So I think that... um, I think that in the mind of people, they've said, all right, I've already kind of started something and I need to finish it. And I think that there's something in our brains about switching things on and off and finishing what we start. And I think that um, from what I've heard, there is um, another thing inside of our brains that says, oh, I've got to purchase that with a name and an email address. Therefore, I won't even start the process Mm -hmm. where the idea of just simply clicking on a button is a low barrier to entry. Um, that's kind of my take on what it could be. Do you agree with that? I would agree completely. And I think that, um, that concept of commitment, right. That Cialdini said is one of commitment and consistency, right. Is one of the six persuasion principles. Um, so yeah, once you've started doing something, you're more likely to complete it. That doesn't mean a hundred percent of the people who start something will complete it, but rather than not having started something, when you haven't started it, you have no investment whatsoever in it. You haven't had that conversation start in your head that says, Hmm, I might want this, right? Like that's not actually happening. But once you begin that work, um, and that is fully in keeping with that, the, the rule of consistency, once you start it, um, you're more likely to complete it. So yeah, I'd fully, I'd completely agree with you. Okay, now let's get into the fun stuff. I mean, not like this has not like this hasn't really been fun. It really has. But now I want to get into testing because I know this is like your this is your sweet spot. So, um what what I want to do is um, you know, everybody who's listening right now probably has some sort of uh email acquisition or some sort of lead generation something on their website. Um and I think that the main variables, you know, first of all, what are the main variables that you think we should be experimenting with when we're doing tests? Okay. Let's, let's start with just the obvious one. I mean, I mean, like, you know, the obvious one in my brain is the headline. That's the one that everybody runs experiments on and split tests on. Let's just start by talking about like when we're running a split test and we've got two headlines, how do we know when we have a winner? 
Mm-hmm. And I would, I would step back and look at the offer and try to test the offer and then get into the headlines. Okay. But let's, I, yeah. Let's talk about the offer then. Okay. So whatever the case, whichever one you're doing, if you start step back and you test the offer, what are you really doing when you're testing, right? That's the question to answer before you start testing anything. Um, so what we'd want to do, I mean, it's easy to just throw two options up there and say, okay, let's see what wins. But what do you learn at the end of that, right? So the goal, and when we're testing, we're not just trying to get a winner. As unsatisfying as that is for a lot of marketers to hear, where they're like, no, no, I just want a really good number to show my boss. Um, but we're not trying to just get that winner. We're trying to learn, right? The more we can learn, even if the test loses, we still win in a way because we learn something if we start the test right. In the case of copy hackers, right, with that exit intent pop-up, um, the offer. We tested the offer, um, three different offers against each other. But our first, our real question, you know, stepping back was, uh, if we asked a research question, it might have been, will the control, let's say the control variation, if that makes sense, people. So you have a control and you have a variation B, C, D, or whatever. And we call so maybe control. control is what you've always offered, right? Is that what you're yes. saying? Okay. Control is the thing that's currently on there. Now, what are you trying to do? So you might hypothesize that um, the control isn't draw isn't pulling in subscribers for X reason. So let's say for the four-part foundational guide to copywriting, well, we can have a bunch of research questions there that we'd want to answer with the next variation. Um, so let's say uh, we think that maybe the foundational guide to copywriting um, just sounds boring. So should we make should we write a headline that sounds more exciting about that then? Or is it that um, the foundational guide to copywriting, maybe people who are coming here just aren't that interested in copywriting, but they're interested in something a bit sexier. What is that sexier thing? Maybe it's persuasion. Okay, well, right, and then you start asking these questions, and then you can come up with creative, including the headline, the call to action, everything that goes with it, to test. And once you've had that initial research question sorted, which sounds like, oh, it's just stupid sciencey nonsense or whatever, but I'm not a scientist. Um, it's just a good way to go about starting out a test so you can more quickly create the right headline and the right button to test. So you're more likely to get either a winner or a really good learning out of it, or hopefully both of those things. So that's the point at which to start is with that hypothesis, which is like the least sexy answer I could possibly give there. But for people who do this, it's the everybody would be nodding, right? If you do this, you're nodding, going, yep, got to start there. Everything else is total waste of time. And it's really just um, experimenting for the sake of experimenting, not for the sake of learning. So okay. that's, okay. that's so where let, we start. So let's say that... Um Let's say that we have a pretty decent offer okay. that we know is converting well to our standards, but we want to figure out how to get it to convert better. Mm-hmm. Um, let's start with just you know uh, where where would you start? I don't want to I don't want to tell you where we should start. You tell us where do you start when you have uh, you know an opt in box on your website and you know the offer is good and you've gotten a lot of great feedback on the offer. How can where do we start to improve it? Because there's a lot of things that we could test, right? We could test. I would imagine the headline, the subhead, the pictures, the body copy, the button colors, the text in the buttons. I mean, there's probably no end to what we could test. But where do we start? 
all of those things, right? But it's true. You've got the what sorted out. So if we look at everything as a what and a how, the what is the offer. What we're going to say is this. Now the question is, how are we going to communicate that most effectively? And there's so many ways to go with the how, which is like a huge part of every copywriter's job. Um, So yeah, so we could start at any one of those points if we strongly believed that one of those elements that you've listed, like let's say the picture, maybe maybe you have a picture of the offer, but it would be like like the ebook, but it might be better to have a picture of a person who represents the most aspirational version of your audience reading an ebook, right? Maybe that would, maybe the you would just want to do you want to test a trick, like having that a person in your pop-up a human being looking at the fields, right? Which we've all seen, I think. A lot of people have seen that. that yeah, or pointing, test, or test pointing results, to it, right? exactly. Yeah, exactly. So it depends, and that, of course, that depends on the goal, right? So if your goal is purely what the hell can we do today to get more signups immediately, it might be resorting to those kinds of things and testing those, just like, right, the little tricks, like having the person point at the opt-in field so that people are more likely to do it. You test it, you have the right goal set up, the goal in this case is okay well we really want people to sign up so measure this entirely based on whether they sign up or not that's it that's how we measure success and then that's where you would start with it right okay so so let's pause there for a second so um so i've got i'm experimenting with two different images let's say okay Mm -hmm. um or i'm experimenting with a image and no image just hypothetically right um how do i know when i've got the results like at what point do I say uh, significant? I see a significant difference. How how do you judge that, Joanna? Yeah, and that's an important part, right? And it's a tough thing to do. So the more traffic you have, and the better your conversion rate, more or less. One, it starts with having a decent amount of traffic. So if you're only getting, you know, you're only exposing a recipe or a variation to 10 people a day, you're going to have a very hard time running um, a test to a point where you would be able to be confident in the results. And, you know, there's the downside of stopping a test when you haven't reached significance. And that is basically you have a false positive, right? You don't really, you didn't really test if you don't reach confidence, but it is hard to get to that confidence if your traffic is low. So let's say your traffic is decent. Um, You have two variations that you're putting out in front of people. And so you need to drive or traffic's being split to each variation. How many how much traffic do you need to have per variation? Then how many conversions do you have to have per variation before you can confidently shut down that test and actually feel good about it? And there are definitely different schools of thought on this. I work with small businesses and you know fast-growing tech startups where traffic can spike, um, and sometimes it's just it's just not that great. It's growing, but it's just not where you'd want it to be. It's not Amazon, right? We can't all be Amazon. So what do you do when you're not Amazon? And that's where you know some people would say, well, you should have have as many as 500 conversions per variation before you shut the test down, which is very difficult for a lot of businesses to do. We say you should aim to have 100 conversions per variation before you call a winner. Now, there are most testing tools you use have um, calculators already built in like to their algorithm, so they'll serve you 
you'll end up seeing in the tool the result that they say is the statistically confident result. Um, sometimes they're wrong, though, because they don't often have like a base number of conversions or of um, visitors to a variation built in. So if you you know do a landing page test with a tool like BWO, which is very good, BWO is what it's called. Um, it's a great tool. Um, they're always working on upgrading these tools and making them better, right? And making the algorithms better. But you can oftentimes get, you know, something misleading results where you've only got, you know, 15 conversions on one variation and three on the other. And it looks like, okay, you've got a really, it should be a clear winner then. This guy got 15 conversions. This one only got three. But you might just not have the, enough data yet. So we would say, leave it running. And if it is really that good, then that winner should keep, should stay ahead, right? And you, so that's what we would recommend you do. And of course, that means, well, Joanna, 50% of my traffic then is seeing this this poor converting variation. Um, so that's not good for my business. But you don't even know if that's actually poor converting yet. The data is just not there. You don't have enough. You okay, don't have so enough participants. Just so yet. I understand, um, let's say that we're running uh, a split test and one of them has 300 conversions and the other one has 50. I mean, then you've got a clear winner. You don't even have to wait for the 50 to get to 100, do you? Or do you? No, what I would say to do in that case, because it's looking really good, right? Um, so I, there are tools out there outside of the testing tool you're using. Um, Evan Miller is something worth Googling. Evan Miller, Evan Miller has calculators that are just about figuring out if a test is ready to complete or not. So you would enter those different variables, or sorry, the different numbers that you have in that calculator, and it would just tell you if it's a good time um, to close the test or not. We rely on those more than we rely on the tools that on the um, calculators as they were that are built into the testing tool so yeah we'd say go use that calculator um, and see what it says and then I would feel confident in that result yeah okay now the next question is um, you know and, and we could just as easily be talking about headlines here anything you know totally but yes let's say we're focusing on images again okay we have a clear winner <laughs> we have a clear winner on the image do we keep testing other images or do we move yeah. on to the next part of the process, which is maybe the button color or something? I mean, that's the uh, question. Yeah. That's a great question. That's the choice, right? I mean, as long as we believe, as long as you're never stopping conversion rate optimization, as long as you don't think, okay, we're done, and you like, you know, walk away, okay, it's it's optimized. No, optimization never stops. So mm -hmm. if you feel good about the image and you're like, then then it's a question of assessing, okay, well, so the image is still pulling people in, but what else might be going wrong? And, you know, we did this, we do a lot of split testing for our clients. They're not always for like an email opt-in or anything like that or lead generation page, but um, there's so many different elements that you can test. And if you test one element at a time, that's a great approach. But a lot of times, more often than not, elements are, of course, working together, right? So a headline and a button work really closely together. So if you're only optimizing the headline or you're only optimizing the image, you're missing out on, on more that could be done potentially if you optimized two together. So, you know, in some worlds, that would be a multivariate test, which is just like a really big, I'm not even going to get into it because it's, it's just, it's very hard to do um, for most sites, given the traffic that they have. But what it does, what the, what the idea is behind that is, well, what happens if we test multiple elements on a page? So I don't just want to test image A against image B. I'd also like to test 
button A against button B while testing image A against image B and see which combination pulls best, performs best. Wow. And that's what we would really want to do, right? Because these don't work in isolation. So we've seen when we haven't been able to do multivariate tests because there just hasn't been the traffic um, for some of our clients, like good traffic, but not enough to perform a multivariate test successfully. Um, we do kind of stages of tests, which is a little bit of uh, hacking it together, but um, you run the test in really two different stages. And the first one, you do an A-B test of like the two headlines, right? So uh, headline A against headline B, see which one wins. Okay, great. Make that winner the new control. And now, like you're saying, now we're going to test two buttons on that headline. Um, and that's what we did recently for uh, Drasipi, which I wrote about on the blog. Um, Drasipi is this website in the UK, and it's an e uh, that helps you find the right clothing for your body type for women. Awesome. We tested two head yeah, we tested two headlines against each other. And um, the second headline was really risky. It was pushing the envelope a bit. Um, and we were really confident that it was going to outperform the kind of mild, not really saying much of anything, control headline, which was, I think it was close your love, perfect for your shape and size. That was the control. Um, and our variation was something like uh, Big bum, big boobs, fine clothes that are perfect for you just as you are or something like just just more like sticky messages, right? Things people are going to be like, what did I just see that word on the page? And um, But we found it was right for their audience because their audience spoke a certain way. Anyway, we tested these two headlines against each other and the riskier one with the word bum in it um, – did better, trended better, but never reached confidence. And we were like, what? But then I looked at the button on the page and the button was in the control and the one that was being tested, you know, it was the same button when we were testing the two headlines and that button was sign up now. And I was like, mm, come on. I think every copywriter can see <laughs> sign up now as a button and go, we can do better than that. Um, so we did, we tested again, we took that riskier headline um, and we tested it with the sign up now versus um, uh, show me clothes I'll love or show me outfits I'll love, I think. And when we had that riskier headline plus an optimized button, um, an, a button that was more likely to demonstrate the value people want to get, not just um, like the exact action of clicking on the button, then we saw like crazy results. Let me let me just see if I've got it handy, right? Um, we got... 123.9% lift in clicks on that button with 100% confidence, reported and optimizedly and confirmed with two other calculators. So we went from having not much of a lift with just the headline to seeing a huge lift when we optimized the headline and button at the same time. So that's where I say, you know, you might not want to do just one element at a time because they're working together. What do you think is the most important part of the um, – what is most important to be split tested from your experience having done this a lot? Is it the button? Is it the headline? Um, which thing do you think has the biggest influence on results? Because you've done a lot of this. Yeah. I mean, I think the button is the most obvious one because when we're running a test, we're running a test with a goal, right? So that goal is usually something to do with an action that's taken on a page, and that action usually has to be completed by – clicking a button. So the button is the site of conversion, right? It's the point at which you cannot convert online 
unless you're calling in, but that's not an online conversion technically. You cannot convert online without clicking at least one button. So if that's even on Amazon, <laughs> everywhere, right? You have to click a button to say, yes, I want this. Um, and so it's easier to run button copy tests because there is an action that absolutely is or is not taken there versus a headline. So a headline, we'd like to measure that, the results of a headline in certain ways, right? We'd like to believe that it leads to a sale, but being turned off by a headline or not being pulled in by a headline um, versus being pulled in by, by a headline, that's very hard to actually measure, right? You're more likely to want to do something like, um, well, you could still split test, but also maybe use click tracking or scroll mapping like they have in tools like VWO, where you'd use that to kind of support the data. Um, so you could see if people were pausing more around the headline or if there was more attention given around a headline, um, rather than just trying to measure based on the click. So that's kind of, that's what that's my, the easiest test to do is hands down a button test. Anything Which is probably the last thing anybody thinks about too, right? Because know, so I many know. people think it's all about the copy and the headline. And, 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 and button copy, right? You're There's right. Like, you're right. It yeah. is. But it's, but it's the one thing that tends to be already filled out for us, you know, and a lot of people yeah. don't think to edit that. Now, oh, um, click here too is like yeah. the normal thing. But what are a couple of creative ways that someone could, you already mentioned like, um, I don't know, sign me up, send me more. I mean, what are some, what are some creative things that people could, should test when it comes to their button copy? Yeah. Two things I like to say here. Um, so the really easy one that anybody listening can go do right now, you know, if you've got VWO or Optimizely installed on your site or I use Unbounce, whatever it is, you could go do this right at this exact second. So you can take the phrase, I want to, and then whatever follows that becomes your button copy so and that means in the first person as well so i want to um see my heat map so um that you know something like that if, if you were selling heat maps right or um i want to um i want to find the best house for me so these are really long I no mean... no but you take out i want to right oh. i want doesn't appear on the button. Oh, okay. I want to is the idea in your head. I'm glad you clarified that. <laughs> it's the idea in your head when you're writing it. And that blank that follows it is your new button copy. So I want to, people don't want to submit, right? How Not, about, how about I want to lose weight? So you just say lose weight, right? Yeah. Or the more attractive, like if it's lose weight now or lose weight in the next seven days or whatever it might be. Like, what's the thing I really want to do? I know that we're always trying to get copy down to a very succinct, crisp state. But if lose weight alone isn't as compelling as it could be, well, what's the real thing I want to do? Or is it even further than that? Is it I want to look good naked, right? Where that button that you could test might be look good naked. That would be potentially a very interesting test to run. Um, so that's one approach that you could take. And that's really speaking to my next recommendation, which is more about having a call to value than a call to action. So I don't want to click to learn more. I never want to learn more. That's not it. That's not, that's a call to action is learn more. It's the action I'm about to take. It's not a desirable action though, right? That's not, I'm not in, I'm not online because I want to click a bunch of things. I'm online because I want to solve a problem that I have, or I want to get value for myself out of whatever I'm doing. Um, and that's where a call to value, like um, you're really talking about the ultimate goal that people have, which is again, what we were just saying, right? Wow. I want to look good naked. And it might be again, look good naked 
Okay. The last question is tools. You mentioned Optimizely a couple times and you mentioned this uh, other one. Um, just give us a super high level of like, what do these tools cost or what's the differences between them? Start with Optimizely because I know you mentioned it like three or four times. Yeah. So Optimizely is, you know, I think Obama used Optimizely for his campaign. There's lots of stuff about that. Um, Optimizely, it's the most reasonable. They've just changed their pricing, actually. I think it's free entirely unless you're enterprise. So no matter what, if you're a small business, you can use Optimizely for free without limit, right? So a lot of free plans, I know it's crazy, right? But if they get everybody using it, obviously it could be, you know, it could quash their competitors very easily, sadly for a lot of their competitors, which make cool tools too. But nonetheless, it's an easy way in. So you could Optimizely, you install the um, code in your footer and it's all very visual, right? So you can click into the page in Optimizely and like edit. Um, And that's the same thing with Visual Website Optimizer, which I mentioned too, uh, which is another great tool. They've actually just redesigned. So, well, they redesigned like six months ago or something. But if you've used their tool before and not been that satisfied with it, they've upgraded it a lot. And what was that? What was that one called? VWO. Gotcha used to be called Visual Website Optimizer, so it's just that's what it stands for, but now it's just VWO. And VWO, is that, a, is that a cost for that one? Yeah, that one is, yeah. I don't think they're as funded as Optimizely is. Gotcha. So that's, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's a great tool as well, and it does have those heat maps built in, which is a nice um, bit of extra for people who care about seeing what's happening on a page, um, which a lot of us should care about. Um, so yeah, and then of course, Unbounce is great for testing your landing pages. I know lead uh, lead pages, I believe also. I've right. only just started using lead pages myself. I'm sure a lot of people already use it, but um, Unbounce and lead pages for just those one-off pages that you want to test, especially for you know PPC landing pages and opt-in pages, things like that. So assuming uh, if it's not just a landing page thing, I'm assuming these other one, other tools uh, integrate with whoever your um, email service provider is, typically like AWeber or Constant yeah. Contact or whoever. Exactly. Excellent. Yeah. Well, Joanna, I know that we barely scratched the surface of this stuff. <laughs> we didn't even talk that much about copy. It's too bad. I wanted to talk to you about copy. We talked about testing images. Oh, that's tragic. Well, I mean, you know, um, there's a reason to get you back on the show another day, or or a reason for people to, a reason for people to um, <clears throat> check out your blog. Um, cool. Why don't you tell people where they can discover more about you? And I really encourage people to go check out her blog because Joanna is really you know, revealing the kind of things that could make a huge difference if you employ some of her tactics. Cool. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're over at copyhackers.com. That's our primary page is our blog. So you can find out all about us there. Um, And we're on Twitter at copyhackers. We've also got a little um, productized agency called Snap, um, which is a kind of on-demand copywriting agency. So there's that too at snapcopy.co. Those are the places that I am. Joanna Weeb, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. It was awesome. Wow. There's a lot of stuff that we talked about in today's interview. And if you didn't get all the little different uh, plugins and applications, don't worry about it because we take extensive show notes for you. You can find those notes at socialmediaexaminer.com slash 138. That stands for episode 138. If you're new to the show and you're not a subscriber, it's free. Just hit that subscribe button on whatever your podcast player is. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. 
I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.